Thank you for joining me on the third installment of my new series, comparing the Reformed position of the Lord's Supper to the Lutheran position, and not just doing that in so much of a general sense, but specifically presenting the arguments that Theodore Beza made against the Lutheran position in his clear and simple treatise on the Lord's Suppers. This is the third installment, as I said. The goal here is to really start the argumentation. The, the first video was mainly definitions and introduction. The second video was just a presentation of what Beza believed. And so we haven't really started to argue and we haven't really started to debate and discuss the issues. And so that's really what we are going to begin doing. And so this is sort of the first argument, if you will, in our third video series. And it does require some pre precautions, if you will. I need to soften it a little bit if the title alone hasn't chased anybody off. As I make these arguments, one of the things I am attempting to do is I am attempting to argue from the, the weakest to the strongest, at least in my best estimation. So as the first argument, this is not what I would say is the most important argument, at least that Beza puts forward. It's not the, the one that I would necessarily want to hang my hat on. But I do think it's an important argument. As a matter of fact, I would even say personally, I probably value this argument even more than Beza does. And the proof of that is this is not something Beza spends a lot of time on in his book. I only have one quote in his whole book. He only makes this argument one single time. And it's almost even in a passing comment to some degree. So this isn't something that Beza really finds like knock out of the park kind of an argument. I think it's stronger than apparently he thinks it is. But nonetheless, Beza brings it up and I think it's a good argument. And so we are going to, to present it and talk about it today. And the argument is simply this. The Lutheran position engages in cannibalism. The Lutheran position requires you, if it's true, then the Lord's Supper is a cannibalistic rite. Now, please don't turn don't turn away. If you're a Lutheran or even a Roman Catholic, whoever holds the literal presence, the real presence of Christ, I understand that this is your least favorite argument to hear. And it makes sense because this is where we're not just accusing you of being theologically wrong, we're accusing you of a, grie a grievous sin. And likewise, this argument is heated because on the flip side, not only if you're wrong, are you in big trouble, big trouble. But if I'm wrong, then I'm also in big trouble because here I am blaspheming a holy sacrament. So I understand why the emotions can become high in this debate. And I understand that many of you have probably just heard this thrown out specifically to incite your emotions. Uh, you know, well, you're cannibals, you're cannibals. Uh, and so I, I want to be clear that I'm not emotional, I'm not angry, but I do think that the this argument about cannibalism needs to be reckoned with. I think that when done in the right spirit, this it's actually a good argument. And so I would challenge you, if you're tired of hearing this or you think it's even a blasphemous question, people ask you blasphemous questions all the time, right? Would you be willing to dialogue with a Muslim over whether Jesus is God? To even suggest Jesus is not God is utter blasphemy, but we still are willing to hear the arguments and interact with them in a loving way. So even if you think I'm being super blasphemous right now, are you willing to hear the argument? So I would encourage you, don't be too sensitive uh, to have discussion, to have debate. And so please don't just run away from this because you think I'm name calling. I'm not trying to name call. I'm not trying to be offensive. 
But I do think this is a good argument against all of the quote unquote real presence positions. To believe in the real presence of Christ requires you to eat the real body of Christ. And because Christ has a body, because he's human, that is cannibalism. Beza makes this argument. As I said, it was very brief, but he does make this argument. And here's what Beza says. Therefore, we claim that the crude manducation, even if it is posited as occurring in an invisible manner, is beastly rather than human and not at all Christian. For we are looking at what happens, not how it happens. Such a good quote. So there you have Beza sort of making this argument that crude manducation, aka physically actually chewing and swallowing Christ's actual real body, this is cannibalism. And he doesn't use that word, but that's obviously what he's saying. He's saying this is beastly and it's not human. Human beings do not eat other human beings. That's what animals do. It's beastly, crude behavior. Now, what's the second part about when he mentions we are arguing about what happens, not how it happens? Well, we will see this in a minute. I'm, I'm going to elaborate on this a little bit more. But the way that Lutherans and Roman Catholics, even though their positions are a little different, they, they kind of get out of the cannibalism charge the same way. They understand that, the as we did in the talked about in the definitions, it's not as if it's eating the Lord's Supper is not the same thing as like Jesus during his earthly ministry, you know, hitting him over the head and knocking him out and then, you know, starting to eat his body, right? Because it's a sacrament, because it's invisible, because the body cannot be seen or perceived or taste or felt or any of that stuff, it's, it doesn't really count as cannibalism. And Beza sort of puts that away by saying, no, that's kind of irrelevant, right? Cannibalism has a definition and we are discussing whether or not that's taking place. We're not discussing how it's taking place. So you can say, well, we're not, we're, we're, we're not, we're only eating the body corporally. We're not eating it physically, but you're still eating it. <laughs> like, are, are you eating the real body of Christ? So Beza's point is very simple. And I think it makes a lot of sense to simply say, well, it's sacramental or it's invisible or it's spiritual. That's, that's talking about how you're eating the body, but it's not addressing with the argument that to eat the body is cannibalism. To eat another human being's body is a cannibalistic act, even if it's sacramental or spiritual. So Beza's quick argument is it is not a Christian behavior, nor even a human behavior, to eat another human being's body. This is cannibalism. Now, here's what I decided to do because that's just far too short of a video. I mean, in theory, we really could end the video here. That's argument number one. Don't be a Lutheran because then you have to be a cannibal. That's that's argument number one. But I would imagine that you are curious. What, what do Lutherans have to say about it? And so I decided to spend most of my time with this video interacting with another video. I never imagined I was going to do this in this series because I really wanted this to be about Beza and Westfall, Reformed versus Lutheran. I didn't want to make this personal. I didn't want to drag people into it, but I just think that this argument is just a little too short. I, I think it would be helpful to hear from someone. So I am going to listen to a short, very helpful video made by Dr. Jordan B. Cooper. He's a pretty well-known uh, Lutheran minister, theologian, professor. And he has a short little video explaining, you know, are Lutherans cannibals? And obviously his answer is no, and we're going to interact with it. So not only to fill the argument out, do I think this is helpful, but additionally, this is not low hanging fruit. I, I didn't just go find some crazy 
unorthodox Lutheran, right? Jordan Cooper is brilliant. I mean, this guy is way smarter than me, way better read than me. Uh, he, he is an academic, thoroughly. I mean, if, if I, I like to make the joke, like if, if Jordan Cooper doesn't know Lutheran theology, nobody does. I mean, he's he's really quite good and quite quite smart. Point is, is I do, I have a high respect for Dr. Cooper. Uh, the reason I'm dragging him into this is not because I think I'm his equal, not because I think he'll ever hear this, uh, not because I'm trying to pick a fight with him personally. It's just because I, I want people to hear, like, Lutherans have thought this through. What do they say about it? And I feel like there's really no better contemporary representative than Dr. Cooper. So uh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you think there's a better brief defense of cannibalism, the cannibalism charge, and I'd be happy to hear it. But this one's brief, and it comes from a good mind. So I figured it would be good to interact with this. Um, if we receive Christ by mouth in the sacrament, what is the nature of that feeding? Do we digest Christ? This is a question I get a lot, and people say, this is something people accuse early Christians of, which was, you guys are cannibals. Okay. The early Christians were accused of being cannibals because they talk about eating the body and drinking the blood of a person, of Jesus. So the early Christians are accused of being cannibals, and that's an accusation that Christians who are sacramental still get today from, you know, Baptists and, you know, groups, people who are not sacramental. They say, you guys are cannibals. And I think it's instructive to, to ask, you know, what did the early Christians do to respond to those accusations? Did they say, no, we're not cannibals, the Lord's Supper is just a symbol of the body and blood of Jesus? No, none of them did that. And if you ask a Baptist, are you a cannibal because you talk about eating the body and blood of Jesus? Say, no, that's just a symbol. That's the response because that's what they believe. If the early Christians believe that, pretty obviously that would be the response. But it's not the response because they don't believe that. So the first thing he mentions, he brings up this charge and he, you know, he immediately jumps to the early church and how the early church were accused of cannibalism. And so he's essentially saying, I'm in good company here, uh, right? I obviously believe what the early church believes since I'm, you know, being accused of the same things that the early Christians were being accused of. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. Dr. Cooper is far, he's, he's, he's much better read on early church than I am and on the patristics than I am. So I, I'm happy to just sort of take for granted his the statement he just made but let me just add on a few things that i think you'll find at least interesting number one i've i never grew up with much interest in patristics or in the early church and so admittedly i i'm kind of playing catch up but as i've started to dive into some of these debates i do think that a lot of the times the early church and the patristics alike are blended together and people make really big sweeping claims that aren't always true. Now, Dr. Cooper typically does a very good job of this. I've heard him say that basically the only thing other than the Apostles' Creed that the early Christians were unified on, that the patristics were unified on, is baptismal regeneration, and I think that's largely true. I think there's debate to be had there about the primitive church, but um, Dr. Cooper is, is very well aware that the patristics are all over the place on a lot of issues and you really can't say this is the patristic belief on any given theology. So I know that he is nuanced and I know that he knows this, but it's still important for me to say because there are a lot of other people who like to just say, this is what the early church believed, this is what the early Christians believed, this is what they all believed. And it's usually not, we don't actually have proof of that and we have counter evidence to those kinds of claims. And I think that the Eucharist is one of them. It's very easy for people in real presence traditions to say, this is what all the fathers believe, this is what the early church believed. And I, I don't think that's actually the case. There definitely are some early fathers and some very early attestations to the real presence, to a 
a position that would look much more like the Lutheran or Roman Catholic position than the Reformed position. I'm happy to agree with that, but I think there is a good debate that there are key witnesses that would deny these things. For example, one of my favorite debates is a, a Christian apologist by the, who goes by the name of Turretin Fan, who debated William Albrecht on on what Augustine believed about the Eucharist. And I personally think Turretin Fan won that debate. I think Augustine, if he were he alive today, would be much closer to the Reformed position uh, than to the Lutheran or the Roman Catholic position. So I, I don't think, I don't want to just assume that the early church was completely unanimous on their view of the Eucharist. I, I don't accept that. I don't know. I know that's not necessarily what he was claiming, but if it is, I, I would kind of, I would want to challenge that. I would want to read more about that beforehand. And then additionally, something else I'll say is I want to give an interesting quotation from a church father, Justin Martyr. Now, Justin, I would say is one of those early sources who definitely has a view closer to Dr. Cooper's than to my own. I'm happy to affirm in this very book I'm going to quote from, I have a book on his first and second apologies. And in these apologies, he speaks of the Lord's Supper in a way that, yeah, I think he would disagree with me about the Eucharist. I, I do. But nonetheless, to this claim about the early Christians were accused of cannibalism because of the Eucharist, and therefore I'm in good company, I'm not denying that that's true. Like I said, Dr. Cooper's more well-read than me. Maybe that's true, but I would want to check that out more. I hear it, and, and, and after reading Justin Martyr, it made me wonder about that. And here's why. Here's a quote from Justin Martyr. Martyr forgive me. This is what Justin says in the book. All who take their opinions from these men are, as we before said, called Christians, just as also those who do not agree with the philosophers in their doctrines have yet in common with them the name of philosophers given to them. And whether they perpetrate those fabulous and shameful deeds, the upsetting of the lamp and promiscuous intercourse and eating human flesh, we know not. But we do know that they are neither persecuted nor put to death by you, at least on account of their opinions. But I have a treatise against all the heresies that have existed already composed, which, if you wish to read it, I will give you. Justin is very, very early, and he's giving a defense of the Christian religion to Roman officials because Rome at this time was persecuting Christians, and Justin was trying to explain to them why they don't need to be persecuting Christians. He brought up that there were, there were groups of people who were considered Christians by Rome who were charged with cannibalism. And he addresses that, and he distances himself from them, and he distances their charge of cannibalism from the Eucharist. Right? He's, he's very clear to say that apparently within the empire, there were these additional groups that rose up that received the name of Christian, but it was name only, that they were not actually Christians. And, and he compares this to, there are philosophers who will be named after other philosophers, right? Even if they disagree with tons of what Plato believed or what Aristotle believed. The point here is, yes, Rome did accuse Christians of cannibalism. But I have at least one example where that had nothing to do with the Eucharist. What it actually had to do is a bunch of pagan groups following false teachers were going under the banner of Christianity and doing a multitude of horrible things, not just eating human flesh, but promiscuous behavior. There was groups of people who were actually engaging, it sounds like, in real cannibalism. And they were also engaging in sexual fornication. And what does Justin Martyr say about them? He says, number one, to Rome, it's kind of interesting that you're not persecuting these people the way you're persecuting us, which is a problem for you guys. 
But number two, his whole point is, I don't know if they're doing that, but that's not us. I mean, they're Christians in name only. That's not what the Christians actually think or believe. Sometimes I wonder, I, I need to do the research, I admit that, but sometimes I wonder if the fact that Rome accused the early Christians of cannibalism, that we just assume that that's the Eucharist. But I have one example here where it's not. And so uh, I guess I would just want to check those out. Uh, Beza does rely on the patristics a good deal in his book. I decided not to make a huge deal of it because I haven't read those patristics. So I don't know if I can confirm or deny him, but just so it is at least put on the record, Beza made a historical argument in his book and he did rely upon Augustine pretty heavily and a couple other church fathers who he believed agreed with him about the Eucharist. But let's continue with Dr. Cooper. Um, but this is a, a question that you get a lot. What does that mean? You know, when I eat the body of Jesus, am I like ripping his flesh apart? Does it hurt Jesus? You know, is it, you know, what is the nature of, of that taking of the, of the body of Jesus and taking of the blood of Jesus? Does that mean that, um, you know, the body of Jesus goes into my digestive tract and it sits in my stomach for a while? If so, how long does it stay the body of Jesus there? How long is it with me? These discussions actually did happen in the Middle Ages, by the way, which is rather odd, but. Why is it rather odd? Like seriously, why is it rather odd? So he's asking all of these questions which are very natural consequences of his position. If Christ is really truly, if his actual body is truly present in the sacrament and it truly goes into my mouth, which he's gonna say later on is very much his position, it truly goes into my mouth, then we have to reckon with the reality that that means that body is going to be destroyed by my teeth and turned into mush. It's gonna be swallowed it's going to go into my stomach acid and be burned up and enter my digestive system and be defecated out. Now, I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm not trying to be blasphemous. I know you're probably so offended, but th this is the reality, folks. That That is what happens to it. These are actually very natural questions that need to be raised. So why is it odd? There's that old expression, uh, error begets error. Right? If, if you start with an erroneous position and build from that, everything you build on that is eventually going to lead to more error. Error begets error. Well, to use Beza's terminology, he calls this a, the Lutheran position a crude manducation. And here's what I'm going to say. Crude theology begets crude theology. Error begets error. Crude theology begets crude theology. He is acting like these medieval conversations are so crude and so odd, but they are the natural consequences of the belief system. So maybe the conversations are crude and weird because the belief system is crude and weird. In other words, part of the argument of against part of the argument that this really is cannibalism is what we call reductio ad absurdum. The logical argumentation reductio ad absurdum reduced to absurdity. If you start with this position, look at the absurd things that it will take you to if you apply it consistently. And so what Dr. Cooper has done is he's looked in the Middle Ages and he's seen the absurdity. He's seen all of these absurd questions. So what does he need to do? He needs to unravel that back to the starting point. He needs to follow the reductio back to the root problem. And the root problem is his position on the Eucharist. But if, 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 if I am actually putting the real body of Christ in my mouth, it's not odd to ask, do I chew it? Do I destroy it? Do I swallow it? Do I digest it? Do I... Crude theology begets crude theology. So I don't know why he would call this odd. It's odd from my perspective. It shouldn't be odd from his. Um, 
I think that is really a misunderstanding of what's happening here and a misunderstanding of the purpose of the Lord's Supper. It's not about this, you know, physical, what the Lutheran Confessions talk about, it's not a carnal bodily eating, right? I'm not eating Jesus in the way that I eat a cheeseburger. Um, what it is about, though, is... Right, he says that I'm not eating Jesus in a way that I'm eating a cheeseburger. And this is all a misunderstanding. This cannibalism charge is just a misunderstanding of the sacrament. And this, again, this just takes us back to what Beza said. Beza was very, very clear that that we are discussing what is happening, not how it's happening. So that, that doesn't seem relevant. I don't know how that is a legitimate charge. So in other words, because again, this is what Dr. Cooper's saying. It's not like it's I, like I eat a cheeseburger, like here's the body of Christ, nom, 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 nom. Like because it's invisible, because it's under the form of bread and wine, because it's imperceptible, you can't say it's the same thing as like a cannibal just taking up a human body and eating it. Because it's invisible and imperceptible, it isn't cannibalism. But th again, that's totally irrelevant. How we partake of the body is not relevant to are we eating the body? Are we actually chewing the real body of Christ? Are we actually swallowing and drinking the real blood of Christ? And if the answer to that is yes, it is cannibalism, even if it's in a different form. Just because it doesn't look like the body or taste like the body, if you're assuming this is the body and we actually are eating it, then it is cannibalism. That's why I like to make the joke, you know the old expression, someone's trying to have their cake and eat it too? Lutherans and Roman Catholics want to have their body and eat it too. <laughs> they want to eat the body, but then say cannibalism, which is eating a human body, is not going on here. We're not eating a human body, but we are eating a human body. Well, it's spiritual, so it doesn't count. Well, it's invisible, so it doesn't count. It's not like eating a cheeseburger. Really, what this actually ends up boiling down to is this is totally, this is a circular argument. It's totally circular. Because the whole question that we're charging is how does the fact that this is under the form of bread change the fact that you're eating the body? And your answer is because it's under the form of bread. That's circular, that doesn't make sense. In other words, we are asking how is sacramental eating not cannibalism? And what's Dr. Cooper's answer? Because it's sacramental. That's Aquinas' answer, that's Dr. Cooper's answer, and it's entirely circular. The reception of the instrument of sacrifice that is going to bless and benefit the one receiving it by eating. Uh, and we see this in the Old Testament every time we have these sacrifices that occur in the Old Testament is you have a sacrifice, it happens, then the sacrifice is eaten. The priest eats it, the people eat it, the people and the priest eat it, or God eats it. And so the way that that sacrifice was given to the people, was applied to the people, was through the meal. Okay, there was the fellowship meal where the animal that was sacrificed would now be eaten. There'd be fellowship with the, the person along with the priest. Um, and so when the, and think of the, the Passover, because that's when the Lord's Supper is instituted specifically. Lamb is killed, lamb's eaten. Okay, the same lamb that the blood is put over the doorpost, that's the lamb that's going to be eaten. The Jews understood that when they celebrated Passover, they'd similarly sacrifice a lamb and they would eat it. They saw themselves as, in a way, participating in that first Passover. Okay, they didn't just see the, the Passover, and you look at some of the prayers that were happening around the, the time of the New Testament. They, they didn't just understand the, the uh, Passover as just a way to remember what God did. No, they're, they're participating in, in God's act of redemption. They are part of that same people. They're identifying with that act of redemption that the Jews in the Old Testament had at the time of the Passover. 
So in the New Testament, we have the institution of the Lord's Supper. It's it's similar. It's something like this. It is. This was such a bizarre first step to go to, given his last remarks. So, I, and I've I've heard Dr. Cooper do this before. He has a. a a video five proofs that the sacrament is Christ's true body and blood and this is one of the ones he gives that it it's a better mirror of the Old Testament sacrifices because in the Old Testament the actual thing that was sacrificed is what you actually literally ate so it makes sense that in the New Testament the actual thing sacrifices what we actually literally eat what did he just get done saying we don't eat Christ's body the way we eat a cheeseburger okay and then what does he immediately move into Argument number one. I mean, this is what the Jews have always been doing, but what's the problem? The Jews did eat the sacrifice just like they ate a cheeseburger. Like 100%. It's, they, they, it was just like eating a cheeseburger. So I don't see the strength of this connection now. In, in regards to everything else he said about the Jews and their understanding of the sacrament, yet again, that's something else. I don't think if he gave an accurate representation of them, that, that hurts or helps the reform position. I, I haven't studied it very much, so I'm happy to just assume it's true. I mean, the book of Hebrews does use the word anomnesis. It does use the word, speaking of the sacrifices, they are a reminder each year of sins. So there certainly was an element of memorial, of remembrance, but all, all everything else he said about joining in the redemptive work and applying the benefits of the, the sacrament, uh, I you know, I think that... Um, that may be true, it may not be, it's not, I think, super necessary to resolve in terms of our debate. Uh, the point is, is the Jews very physically and carnally ate the sacrifice, so I, I don't see how it's a helpful comparison for his position when he's denying that they don't, in fact, very carnally chew and eat the sacrifice. That the benefits of the sacrifice, this time Jesus' sacrifice, are given to those who are receiving the sacrifice. They're given to us. We receive the benefits of Christ's sacrifice. We receive the benefits of the body and blood of Jesus. And so it's about receiving inwardly by mouth the benefits of the sacrifice in that in our mouths we receive the one who was sacrificed. We get his body, we get his blood, we get the benefits of the sacrifice that he wrought on the cross as those things are given to us. This conversation about well here's what's actually happening you know that you you accuse us of can't being cannibals but you miss the point right how do you miss the point because this is really just about receiving christ in our mouths and then receiving the benefits of the sacrifice but here's what i would say that's totally irrelevant it's 100 irrelevant we can just grant let's just grant everything he said is true everything he said about the jews is true receiving christ in our mouth receiving the benefits of the sacrifice by participating it's all true it's all true how is that addressing the fundamental question of isn't it cannibalistic to actually eat the real body of jesus why not just bite the bullet and say you know what there's technically not a levitical law against cannibalism so uh and i don't believe the new testament expressly says not to do it so why not just bite the bullet and say yes it is cannibalism but it's a good cannibalism because we're receiving the benefits of the sacrifice right all of that high pious language of beneficial reception of the sacrifice can be true with cannibalism <laughs> so, it, so it's really a red herring is what it is this is a red herring this is a smokescreen this is getting us focused on the good aspects of lutheran theology on the beautiful aspects of lutheran theology without realizing that this is not actually relevant to wait aren't we chewing and swallowing the body of christ which is cannibalism
but you're receiving the benefits of salvation. You're receiving the benefits of the sacrifice. Okay, great. Awesome. Good to know. Now, anyway, back to my question. Isn't this cannibalism? All right. You see the point? This is a red herring. This is a smokescreen. This is not dealing with the objection. It's talking about something different. It's related, but different. That's about all we can say. And I don't think it's it, we can really go farther than that and try to explain more than that. We can get into superstition. We can get into just kind of silly discussions that the New Testament just doesn't discuss these things. Um, so, no, I, I wouldn't say that, the, I'd say, yes, we really receive it in our mouths. The body of Jesus is really in our mouths. We receive that. It's not just somewhere in heaven and our soul listens to heaven by faith. And, and you know, I, I just, you can't read the New Testament that way. Um, so we really do receive it in our mouths. But that's about all we can say. And I don't think we can go farther than that and try to say, well, that means we're ripping Christ apart. Well, no, it's not, it's not the same as eating a human body in the sense of cannibalism. Okay, we're not, it's not like you're ripping pieces of Jesus's flesh and, and physically chewing them, but it's given to us in our mouths as we receive the bread. That's about all we can say. That's about all the New Testament says. I don't think we can go any farther than that. This is why Lutherans are so often accused of just sort of kicking things off into mystery. What, what did he just say? He literally said, it's real, it's in our mouths. We actually receive him, but we're not chewing him. How? Don't ask. Just, I don't know, the, the scriptures don't tell us that, they just tell us this, just don't go there. But the Bible doesn't call us to believe unreasonable things. Beza actually makes this point in his book all the time because this is what Westfall, if you read the book, Westfall does this over and over again. He tells Beza, this is what the words say, accept them and stop trying to bring human reasoning into it. And Beza has to tell him over and over again that this is not bringing human carnal reasoning to it. This is recognizing that God doesn't call us to believe unreasonable things. So you, he, we cannot be dismissive the way Dr. Cooper is. Dr. Cooper's saying, listen, we actually receive him in our mouths, but it isn't cannibalism. And the second you say, how, why, you can't go there. Don't ask those questions. Well, we want to ask those questions. Those questions actually matter. These are meaningful questions. It goes so far beyond, like, are, are we chewing and swallowing and digesting and defecating the body of Christ? Those are important questions. And they seem to be the logical conclusion of the Lutheran position or the Roman Catholic position, unless they're willing to say, at some point in the eating process, it ceases to be the body of Christ. And then you would have to ask further questions. When and how do you know this? Is this arbitrary? We could also ask questions. The Roman Catholic position, for example, actually is very clear that every piece, if, if you were to take the, the, the consecrated host and break it in half, you would have both of those pieces now would both be the body of Christ fully. The full divinity, soul, it would be the full Christ. So as I put the Lutheran host into my mouth and I chew it, did I just create more Christs? Did I just, do I have five, six, seven bodies and bloods of Christ in my mouth now? I, I, I'm replicating Christ in my mouth, yet there's only one Christ. That's going to be an argument we make further down in the video series. These are important questions. And I'm sorry if Dr. Cooper thinks it's okay to just simply say, well, it's a mystery. We don't know. But they actually, they matter to the Reformed. <laughs> they matter to how we're understanding the scriptures and how that applies to our real everyday life. 
Beza actually brought one other one up himself. Notice how all of these questions apply to Jesus himself. Did Jesus eat his own body? So Jesus held Jesus's body and then Jesus put Jesus's whole body into his mouth. So Jesus's mouth was in his mouth. <laughs> Right? Be Beza says this, The apostles saw the Lord himself before the eyes of all the others eating and drinking the same drink and food. And so they could not fail to understand that this is a mystery since no one eats or drinks of himself corporally. I just don't see how it's helpful to dismiss these questions, right? He's saying, we don't know, scriptures don't go there, they're just weird questions, you sound like those odd middle-aged people, but to us, and I'm, I'm, I'm holding you out if you're listening to this video, I'm calling you, don't these actually seem like reasonable questions given the presupposition here? Now, the, the video doesn't end there. He, he continues, he goes on and, and talks about the Lutheran wording of this. And quite honestly, I think he doesn't say anything new. I don't think he refutes anything I've said up to this point. So if you think I'm really leaving something important out, then you can read, put that in the comments and I'll respond to it. I'm going to stop it there because I don't, I don't think he actually says anything new. So I'm not trying to misrepresent Dr. Cooper. I'm not trying to selectively edit him or leave something important out. I, I just feel like it's more of the same. Uh, and so we can stop it there. So it was my point again. I was not trying to be insulting. I'm not trying to mock. I know that I get emotional and excited. I like talking about this stuff. Again, I have, I have a very high respect for Dr. Cooper. He is, in my mind, the smartest Lutheran that I know, that I know of on the internet. And the best we have is basically, it's a mystery we don't know, don't ask. I'm not trying to be inflammatory. I'm not trying to insult you. Uh, I'm not trying to just make throw accusations out there. But I think that the Lutheran position does in fact lead to cannibalism. I don't think the Lutheran position has supplied a good reason as to why that's not the case. And so I think a strong reason to not be Lutheran is because it does logically lead to cannibalism. I know that this one was potentially offensive, so I appreciate if you labored through to the end. The other ones are not very offensive, but I hope they will continue to be interesting. Thank you for giving me your time. I do appreciate it. And, and as always, maintain the gospel, maintain the fight. God bless.